Hi, I'm Sarah Loudon from Total Health Conferencing, and I'm excited to bring to you an event as part of World Kidney Cancer Day, sponsored by Kidney Can, an advocacy organization devoted to um, spreading the word about kidney cancer for patients, providers, and caregivers. I'm joined today by three panelists that are really going to open our eyes to the impact of activity. And really, everyone in the audience, no matter what stage living with, living through, being a caregiver of, even being a previvor uh, with cancer, uh, can all benefit from this. Because really, each one of us could be more active and focus on our diet uh, a little more. So I'd like to introduce who we're going to be working with today. We've got Dr. Brad McGregor, Clinical Director for GU Oncology from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston. We've got Francesca Maglione, a dietitian from New York Presbyterian Hospital associated with Cornell. And we've got our patient, Mr. Ralph Knapp. So for the sake of this kind of being a conversation, I'm gonna ask that everybody gets a little bit comfortable with each other and we go uh, using first names. Um, Dr. McGregor, I grew up in a household where my dad was a doctor and my mom is a nurse, so I call everybody doc. I can't break the habit, um, so I will call you that if you don't mind. Uh, and let's get right to it, because I think people are excited to hear what we have to say about diet and exercise. Um, doc, I'm going to start with you. First, welcome to the panel and thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. Sure. So, you know, from a physician perspective, I know that many times you have patients come in diagnosed with cancer or living through uh, treatment. And, you know, there's really no one. The American population um, is growing and growing physically. Uh, mm -hmm. And so there's really no escaping that every one of us could use a little bit more focus on diet and exercise. But specifically when it comes to patients going through cancer, I'd like you to just kind of define for us the relationship between diet and exercise and disease. So yeah, I think that's a great question. It's something we get asked in the clinic all the time. The patient comes in, they have a new diagnosis and we talk about all these therapies, but then, you know, a family member of patients. But what's really important is what, what can I eat or what can I do that's gonna make a difference here? And I think at the end of the day, I don't think there's any magical answer that, oh, you just do this and everything's going to be fine. But we do know that a healthy diet and exercise can certainly play a role in helping everyone feel better and do better. You know, I think back in 2010, they actually came out with guidelines for patients with cancer on exercise guidelines. And they basically said, no, just follow the guidelines for everybody else, which is 150 minutes to 300 minutes of regular uh, activity. Um, and then, you know, I think as we went forward, we realized maybe that's not the best guidance because people can't maybe do that. Given limitations, maybe they had surgery, they have a side effect from chemotherapy. And really in 2019, they said, the important thing is just to minimize inactivity. Um, and to that extent, what they really say is, you know, it's important to do both aerobic and anaerobic exercise. So looking to do aerobic exercise, you know, like brisk walk, uh, exercise bike for three times a week for at least 30 minutes in conjunction with some anaerobic exercise, stuff that's really geared to strength building. So push-ups, sit-ups, something within those realms, like about three times a week, like eight to 12 reps. And I think 
We even looked specifically at kidney cancer. They looked at patients that did anaerobic or aerobic activity or both. And what they found is not many people did both or even a lot of one, but those people who did both seemed to have the best overall quality of life. So they felt the best and they were able to feel better. And if you feel better, then you'll be able to tolerate your therapies better and you'll do better overall. You know, it's so funny because I, I, when I delivered my son six years ago, I had gained so much weight with my pregnancy and I went in and the doctor said to me, um, I want you to lose 40 pounds. And I thought to myself, <laughs> I don't know how to lose 40 pounds. I knew how to gain 40 pounds during my pregnancy, but losing 40 pounds feels like it's insurmountable. What do you tell patients about taking it a day at a time, taking it a pound at a time, maybe not even focusing on weight loss as much about strength building? Like, what is the conversation like when you are in front of someone and they feel overwhelmed by even the recommendations, you know, to kind of do strength uh, training as well as um, cardio training? Yeah, no, I'm 100% with you. So I love to do cardio. I will happily get on a treadmill and exercise bike every night, but I hate doing strength. And my wife's the exact opposite. We're happy to lift weights. So together we're perfect, but in part we're not. And so I think it's good. Like, so, so we, we sort of push each other in that situation. She makes me do the strength and I make her do the cardio. I mean, I think it is just a matter of taking it one day at a time. And I think those first days are tough. And I would say, you know, you've got to say really avoid inactivity. So you don't have to go out and do 90 minutes um, every single day for that whole time start slow. If it's 10, 15 minutes, that's great. That's better than nothing. And maybe if you do, you know, five minutes of strength training, that's great. And as you do those baby steps, you're going to feel better. Studies have shown that, you know, regular exercise can not only help with just strength and fitness, but there's less depression, less anxiety, um, and it's going to help you feel better. And so, you know, I think it's important. You have this really stressful diagnosis, this new new thing in your life, cancer, and it can overwhelm things. And so it's important sometimes take that little time for yourself and, you know, give that small steps. And, you know, don't feel bad if you can't do what you did before. You know, these treatments have side effects. You may have low blood counts. You may not be able to run as fast as you could before or lift as much as you could before. That's perfectly fine. That's what we expect to see, but appreciate what you can do and take those steps forward. And I think with that, you really will notice a great improvement in your quality yeah. life. Yeah, I love that. I love the focus on, you know, avoid being inactive and celebrate what you can do because throughout the journey from diagnosis all the way through, you are going to have those peaks and valleys of, you know, how you feel depending on what stage you're going through. Um, so it's really just the most about avoid inactivity, which when you are balancing emotionally carrying the weight of, you know, what's happening in this life event uh, that's happening can be difficult to kind of self-motivate. And so we'll get, uh, you know, talking with Francesca and Ralph a little bit later about how we can make those practical and then how Ralph actually did it and how that changed uh, the way he felt. So I do appreciate coming from a doctor that you're giving us permission to not put it all on at once because it's so difficult to think about it. It really does feel like I'll never be able to do it all so that I'm not going to do any. 
And, you know, I think that the guideline committee was smart in saying, instead of telling them what to do, let's tell them what not to do. And so every little increment helps. So doc, what about food? You know, people say food is medicine. So is there, are there recommendations in terms of how you look at food when you're going through uh, treatment and maybe even life after cancer? So, I mean, I think it really depends upon where you are in your treatment course. So if you're someone who's had a diagnosis of a stage one or stage two kidney cancer, it's been taken out and you're going on an observation path. Um, in that situation, you know, it's really important to maintain a healthy, healthy diet, a healthy weight, and really focus on what you eat. And, you know, my wife's a cardiologist, and so I sort of defer to her in these things, but I think, you know, like something like the South Beach diet is really great. Like, you know, diets that are low in red meat, processed food, um, high in fruits, whole grains, vegetables are really the, the most important thing. And having that balance, like not a situation where like you can never eat red meat again, it's not an issue. Oh, you can't eat sugar. Sugar does not feed cancer, despite what you may read on Google. Like you can't actually feed cancer with anything. Um, but then I think as you get to the point where you're undergoing treatment and you're on therapy, I think at that point, the most important thing is, you know, I always tell my patient, you know, chemotherapy is not supposed to be a diet plan. So we don't want you losing weight excessively on chemotherapy. We know that patients that are able to maintain their weight do better overall. So in that situation, you know, if you were to have like a thing where you're on a therapy, a lot of the the drugs for kidney cancer may make you have a poor appetite, change your taste, you know, eat what you can. Like, don't say, oh, I'm not going to eat that and then lose 10 pounds. Because we do know in kidney cancer, there's this thing called the, like, maybe this obesity paradox. So, um, which is the idea that um, patients who are overweight have a higher risk of developing kidney cancer. But in stage four kidney cancer, they start treatments, they maybe do a little bit better. And there's a lot of reasons why that may be, but a lot of it is felt that probably is that, you know, it's important to keep that lean body mass index up. And so what we don't want patients to do when they start therapy is losing that weight. Because as you start losing weight, I always tell patients, if you don't, if you don't eat, the cancer is going to eat you. Um, and so it's really important to keep those calories in, get that protein in so you can keep that muscle and maintain your um, quality of life and hopefully do better with therapy. And it's not just, you know, you were mentioning that your wife is a cardiologist. It's not just, we're not only focusing on what the, about the cancer, because cancer treatments have, we know, effects on all of your other organs and just overall you as a human body. So even as you, you know, adopt some of those practices where you reduce the red meat, the fat, the high fats, the bad fats, et cetera, you're also helping your heart, you're helping your breathing, your circulation, and those things all lead to like what you were saying, feeling better. So if you feel better, you know, you're much more able to tolerate um, the upcoming things that are, you know, part of the, the journey and treatment for cancer. Um, so Doc, as you're, you know, thinking about and talking to patients that come into the practice, is there any one question, you know, you mentioned sugar. I, I read it all the time. You know, I've got to cut out sugar. I also read things like get, make all your water alkaline because, you know, that's something else. Is there a question that you'd like to almost debunk 
to the wider audience about what you could eat, what you don't eat, what you could drink, et cetera, uh, using this platform? I mean, I think from my standpoint, when we think about diet, um, supplements, I think the most important thing and take home point is, you know, things in moderation and, you know, be smart about something. So anything where you go extreme of one way, where you avoid all sugar or only eat fat, something like that, you know, those are going to be problematic. But I think as you go through, you know, our goals of this is we want to obviously treat the cancer, but also maintain a quality of life. And so I don't, I would say patients should not sacrifice their favorite food and never eat it again because they have this new diagnosis. Like that's an important part. And if that's something you enjoy, you should enjoy that. Um, and so I think just realize that despite all these recommendations, like things in moderation are fine yes. um, and really important. And, you know, just sort of take a deep breath and don't let cancer or the treatment like guide you into one specific thing. I mean, yeah. I say some patients, they enjoy that. Some patients, they like the thought of, I'm going through this and I feel like I'm doing something, I want to do that. And that's great. But I don't want you to say, oh, I'm not going to eat this, my favorite food, and be miserable because of it, because I'm going to see the cancer. Yes, I think that that's good advice. And advice that I think everyone's saying thank you for, because it's hard to give up the things that we love, especially when we're emotionally going through something else. Um, so I'll come back to you, Doc, about a few things as we move forward with the story about why activity is so important uh, for patients living with or through cancer. Francesca, I'd like to kind of dive a little bit in with you on what your role is um, to support the doctors and then how you interact with patients. So maybe if you can describe to us um, you know, kind of what your day looks like uh, in terms of what services you provide. Sure. Thank you, Sarah. So I am a registered dietitian. I'm also a specialist in oncology. And so I spend my entire day working with patients who are receiving chemotherapy, radiation, but also bone marrow transplants and stem cell transplants. Um, but in relation to specifically like the kidney cancer population, what I would do with them is an individualized um, consultation and provide individualized medical nutrition therapy to work on their specific plans, which are really patient focused. And so it depends on what their goals are and what stage of treatment they're at, what kind of treatment they're receiving as far as what our plan is going to look like. And so sometimes we are working on symptom management. Sometimes we're working on weight management, whether we're trying to um, reduce the weight or increase the weight or maintain the weight, which is the most important thing. And, um, you know, sometimes we're doing nutrition support. Um, and then once they're getting towards the end of their treatment, sometimes we're working on a survivorship plan. So really kind of once the symptoms are gone, what are we looking for for a healthy diet to move forward after treatment? You know, I loved you said an individualized plan because this really isn't one size fits all. You know, just like uh, Dr. McGregor was saying, you know, the, the guidelines are there to be guidelines. They're not there to be prescriptive to every single person coming in the office because you're going to see, you know, a weightlifter, an exercise, Ironman come in all the way to someone who, you know, watches Wheel of Fortune every night and spends possibly 30 minutes uh, on their feet. And that's the reality of a, you know, a clinic day that you'll kind of run that gamut. 
So I love that you start from a place of looking at the patient individually and saying, you know, let's come up with a plan that's right for not just you, but for your goals and for where you are, because that's going to change. Uh, and I think that too provides the patient some freedom to know that even if they've got to withdraw from something or step something else up, that it might not be forever that they have to do that. Um, one thing that I want to ask you is, you know, being a mom, I'm a mom of a 17 and a six year old, I'm a wife. And I feel like every time I'm on a diet, the house is on a diet. How do you help patients who might be in that same situation where they might have to be focused on something very specific, but it might not apply to the household, but they don't have the stamina to be cooking multiple things? How do you regulate that or advise that patients regulate that at home? That's a really great question. Um, so I think for the most part, if a patient is working on improving the overall quality of their diet, most of the time, it's nothing that um, an entire family wouldn't be able to eat as well. So um, I wouldn't ever put somebody on a diet that I don't think could be applicable to everyone. And I use this a lot with patients who have diabetes. So someone with diabetes might also have kidney cancer, might also have hypertension. And if you have diabetes, the diet that you need to follow is not any different than someone who doesn't have diabetes or isn't at risk for diabetes to be healthy. Um, but when it comes more to specific nutrition plans during treatment, I find that um, they're not able to do it all on their own. And actually, a lot of the support comes from their family and their friends to help keep them nourished. And it's a little bit of the reverse, where um, typically when they're in that situation where their diet is so altered that they're not eating the same thing as everyone else, they're also receiving a lot of support from the people in their life. And we're making changes to their diet to kind of sneak in the calories. So if you don't feel like eating, maybe you feel like drinking a smoothie or a milkshake. Maybe a bowl of soup is all that you could tolerate right now instead of an entire meal. And so those changes, I feel like, are a little bit more manageable because um, they are short-term and they are really just trying to get somebody to meet that, meet that bare minimum to keep them going, keep their energy up, help with fatigue. Mm, I love that answer. And then Francesca, you know, first of all, Dr. McGregor, I'm sure that you love having a dietitian on the team because it makes it just so much better and easier. Uh, Francesca, how do you communicate back with the treatment team changes in the patient's um, communication with you about what they're feeling? Because we know patients don't always share everything with their doctors. Sometimes they share it with their nurses or people like you that are taking care of the specific things because they feel like the doctor's taking care of the big things. Um, so how do you communicate that and how do you empower your patients to say, feel free to bring this up to the doctor at your next visit? Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. And I personally feel blessed that I have a really strong multidisciplinary team. And so, um, a lot of the times my nurses and my doctors, we sometimes are talking to the patient at the same time. Of course, this is when I was working in person, I'm working from home now, so I do miss that. But um, there's sometimes when the three of us are all with the patient while they're receiving their infusion, and we're all talking as a team as far as what's gonna help them with specific issues. Um, thanks to electronic medical records, I'm able to forward all of my documentation directly to my team. And so as soon as I finish a note, 
my team has access to it and they're able to see what we're working on. And then I definitely do encourage my patients to talk to their doctors, especially when it comes to exercise. They'll ask me a lot of the time, can I exercise? Is it safe to exercise? And I can help them with some of the behavioral barriers to making exercise feasible for them. But when it comes down to, is it safe? And can they physically exercise if they're medically cleared? They're always gonna have to talk to their doctor on that. So I always strongly encourage them to ask their doctor. And then sometimes I'll even follow up and say, hey, did so-and-so ask you about exercise? What do you think? Is it okay if I talk to them about X, Y, Z? And then we could kind of all as a team make sure that we are on the same page. Yeah, no, I love that. Well, Dr. McGregor, McGregor before I go on to Ralph, you know, both you and Francesca work at major academic centers, you know, in big places where you do have the benefit of having multidisciplinary teams, discussions, tumor boards, you know, approaches to care. But there are many people listening that, you know, see their oncologist at a local practice. They don't have a dietitian on staff. They're not really focusing on uh, exercise and nutrition. How do you you know, in addition to places like Kidney Can, how do you guide patients to where they can find information uh, if they are being treated in a setting like that where they don't have this level of access? Yeah, I, mean, I can speak, I'm here now, but prior to being here, I was actually in the military where I served at like basically in the setting of a community hospital where I would see patients and we didn't have the same level of support we have here. Um, I think in those situations, it's really important to be your own advocate. So yes. you are you are there and you know that physician is there and they may be busy and they may be doing something else, but ask the question, say, hey, this is where I'm at. You know, what resource would you recommend? Because there are things such as kidney can or um, websites, but at the same time, there's often a lot of local resources as well that are just there, you just need to know about. And you know, while these smaller sites may have the nutrition on site or the social everything there, they often have people there that can connect you to resources in that area, support groups, where you can talk with other patients that are going through the same thing you're going through. It may not just be kidney cancer, it may be a general cancer support group, but a lot of these messages are sort of themes that extend across cancer. So I think it's important to be your, be your own advocate, search out those support groups, those resources in your area, um, because I know you know, when I was there, I may not have thought about everything, but when the patient asked me, I was happy to make sure I gave them the right resources. Sometimes as a physician, we may get caught up in the high blood pressure side effect and the malsor side effect and not think about the things that are important to the patient. And so it's important if this, this is something that you should really ask your team about because there are resources no matter where you are to help you through this process. Yes, I think that that's really good advice. And I love that you started with be your own advocate. You know, I've hosted a number of these uh, town halls with various, on various tumor types, breast, lung, GI, GU, I mean, leukemia, we did a couple weeks ago. Uh, and really that was an overarching and resonating message that, you know, at the end of the day, you've got this team around you as support. Then you've got your caregiver, you know, your home team around you as support, but there's not gonna be a bigger and better advocate than you. Uh, as you're going through your journey with disease. Um, and that comes to, you know, being accountable, doing your research, being vocal, getting involved with advocacy organizations. It really gives you this opportunity to say, you know what, I, I've been diagnosed with this and I love, there was a 
young woman who was diagnosed with AML when she was 19. And she said to me, I am not my disease. I'm a person that has a disease for this moment in time, but I am not defined by my disease. And I think that when you really put that in context, no matter what stage of the journey you're going through at this moment, when you put it in context that you're still who you were the day before your diagnosis, and you're gonna emerge from this stronger in your you know, area of life after cancer, all along the way, the one standard is, or the one consistent is, be your own advocate. And so I love that you uh, started the answer with that because I think that that really uh, shows that even as a physician, you're saying, I'm here to be your number one cheerleader and I'll do everything I can to get you through this, but I'm gonna need you to participate in this too. Um, and I think that that's what patients need to hear uh, in order to feel empowered. Well, Ralph, I'm going to come to you because we've heard a lot from um, the doctor and the dietitian, and you know this this World Kidney Cancer Day is really about the patient. It's about the individual that's going through it. Um, the rest of us, whether we're in medical education like me um, or in medicine like our two other panelists, we're here to support you. But it's really this is your journey. So I'd like to start off by asking you to share a little bit about your individual journey so that you know, others can uh, identify and then we'll get into some uh, questions about how you use diet and exercise to, um, to be your best through this. Well, I'll give kudos to the doctor and the diet, our dietitian today. Great answers. You know, through our, my journey, you know, I have, uh, pretty much try to keep weight on, not take weight off. I mean, because we, I, you take these, these drugs, which are chemicals, which, you know, you lose your appetite. And I, I you know, I was just to be a pretty big guy at one time, you know, over 200 pounds or, you know, right at 200. And I think I got as low as 148 in one of my treatments. Wow. Yeah. So that, I mean, it's been, it's been, it's been quite the journey. Um, you have to be your own advocate. I'm alive today because of reading, and research and uh, a site called Smart Patients. Mm. I've learned everything about kidney cancer. They have great form and it's really, a, a, if I had kidney cancer, that's where I would go. It's where I, you know, it's, and not only do I use it for learning stuff, I use it for um, talking to other people that have the same disease. So, I, you know, if you have kidney cancer and you haven't been on that website, that's where you need to go. I yeah. Mean, you know, I'm not I'm just put a plug in for them because without them, I wouldn't have found all these, all this stuff. No, that's fantastic. I think that's what Dr. McGregor was saying, you know, do your research, find your resources, find your people. Ralph, were you active at diagnosis? Were you active? Were you focused on diet and exercise? Yeah, I was, I was a scratch golf or actually a plus two handicap. So all I did is I exercise, I exercised for golf because I really enjoyed it and exercising you know, I was hitting the ball further and, and um, it was, it was fantastic. Um, you know, I was carrying my clubs and I collapsed one day and I was, and I was losing strength and my doctor didn't know what to do. And I didn't know what a CT scan was. I didn't know where my stomach was in my body at the time. I mean, you know, I was counting on somebody else. And the problem is you got to, you know, you got to kind of, I know what to do now, but I didn't know what to do then. So you really have to listen to what your body's saying and you have to, pay attention. Um, but the whole time I was sick, I, I did work out. I had a gym downstairs and 
I used to go, I used to walk down the steps and there was a time last year, about a year ago, I couldn't make it down the steps. I couldn't get off the couch. And, um, you know, the therapies these days are incredible. And if you get the right mix, you know, you can have some success. You can't give up. That's the best key. Yeah, for sure. So as you, you know, were going through these treatments and you encountered, you know, times where you felt fatigued, times where you felt sick. Uh, I know, you know, you came close to death quite a few times, um, especially with that extreme weight loss. How did you find, or were you conscious of finding ways to stay active? Well, one time I had a therapist come over and we bat a balloon. She was trying to help me, you know, and I'd roll a ball across the road. I could, you know, I had oxygen for weeks at a time. And, um, <laughs> and you know, it, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was something, but, um, you know, like I said, you know, I had a nice reaction to, um, some, I, I'm not exactly sure what it was, but it was, you know, it's pretty much a miracle that I'm sitting here in front of you and I play golf. I'm down to a four handicap again, and it's about through exercise and through, uh, everything that, you know, I used to do. I go down there and if I go to the gym downstairs, I, if I don't do anything, I, I'd stay there for an hour. But sometimes I'll stand there, stand there for 10 minutes and then, then I'll do something. You know, as long as I, you know, I'm in the place where I can do something, I will do something. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's important. That's important. You know, a lot of that's like mind over matter. And yeah. I think that, you know, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about how staying active and staying positive through this time helped you get through uh, the difficult times that you were having while on treatment. Well, first off, I could give my wife a lot of credit, but uh, I, playing golf, you know, looking forward to my, you know, you know, I was shooting, I was up to a 15 handicap playing the senior tees. Now I'm moving back to the Ben's regular tees. You know, eventually I want to move back to the, you know, where I used to play championship golf. I, I will never probably be the golf where I was, but, you know, I still enjoy it. I enjoy it probably more now than I did then because I really appreciate it. And yeah. I appreciate that I work out and I can, and my body's responding and that's what happens. So if you, if you work out, your body will respond. And that's the key that these people need to know. It's exactly. just, it, it will listen to you. your body works and it will and, be better. And Ralph, you know, you touched on something that I think people underestimate the power of the caregiver. So whether your caregiver is your wife, your husband, your son, your daughter, a nurse that comes every day, um, a good friend. I recently had a, a good friend of mine lose a good friend of hers to metastatic breast cancer. Um, and I just saw the devotion that they had in each other's life and being in the role that I've been in in, in cancer care for so long, I've seen the the effect and the power of recognizing and realizing that even though you are your own advocate, it's very difficult to get through this alone. And so, you know, really focusing on the gratitude every day and, you know, the ability for your caregiver um, to be with you. I don't want that to go unnoticed. This was way less about golf than it was about that beautiful woman that was standing at your side uh, throughout this journey. No, it's just cool for her, but I mean, I'm, I'm self-motivated. I get up in the morning and I work out in the morning, so you got to find your time. Yes, it's yes. The afternoon, it's the morning, you know, I come up, I get up and drink coffee, I'll read for, you know, an hour, and then 
then I go downstairs and I try to spend an hour down there and then I'm up for the day and, you know. And no, and I think that that too is important. It's like, you can't change your life. You can't, you know, you've got to bring it to where you are. Francesca, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. It's like, if I'm not a swimmer and I'm not around an ocean or a swimming pool, making recommendations to do laps for me doesn't make sense. But if you kind of query me on what things I do do, Maybe it's get out with my little boy a little more and, you know, kick a ball around. How do you tell patients or how do you advise patients to kind of bring exercise to what they naturally and normally do in an effort to make it more easy? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think um, people come in with a preconceived notion that in order to be healthy, they're going to have to do something they've never done before. They're gonna to have to do Zumba or they're gonna to have to do CrossFit and drink celery juice and all these crazy things. And if they ask me, you know, should I be doing this? Can I be doing this? The first question I always ask them is, do you enjoy doing that? And sometimes they look at me like, what? Right. Uh, and they feel uncertain about answering. And sometimes it's yes and sometimes it's no. And if it's yes, then I say, okay, then that's good. And if it's no, then I say, why would you do that? And then they realize, oh, you're not going to, it's not going to be sustainable. You're not going to get any benefit out of it if you don't enjoy doing it. Yes. And there's a lot of ways to figure out what you like to do and with the help of your team, make it a little bit more beneficial to you. And one of the things that I'm able to do for patients with that is, you know, whatever exercise they're doing, we're able to kind of go back to food and go, okay, how are we going to nourish you so that you can be your best at that? So like Ralph said with golfing, if you love to go out and golf and it's hot outside, how are we gonna make sure that you're hydrated for that? How are we gonna make sure that you're getting a healthy snack in with some carbs and protein before you exercise? And can we prioritize a snack with protein and carbs 30 minutes after you exercise? So we maximize the benefits that your body is getting from whatever activity you like to do. Mm, I think that that's so great. It makes it so personal. Again, it's about sustainability. I mean. When that doctor looked at me and said, you have to lose 40 pounds, I was like, where am I going to eat after this visit? Because you, you can't wrap your brain around 40 pounds. Had they said, and this is no criticism against the doctor, but had they said something like, between now and the next time I see you, I'd like you to lose three pounds. Then it's like, okay, I can do that. It's a manageable goal. I can set it and kind of meet it. But sometimes it feels so overwhelming that even like, you know, if you're talking about adding a certain amount of activity or a certain way of eating and it's so foreign to what I've been doing for 43 years it's almost like throw the baby out with the bathwater. I can't do it it's too radical a change for me especially as I'm going through uh, all of the things that I'm going through Ralph I'm curious did your doctor as you were going kind of up and down in weight did your doctor start talking to you about nutrition and exercise or was that something you know you kind of gleaned from your smart patients well actually I, you know this is i make one of these every four days and i freeze them this is this is smoothie i fill halfway with kale or spinach blueberries that you know two apples protein and this is i think this has been the biggest i've had this since i started with cancer i when i bought i have two of these one here and one in florida this is everyone needs to get one of these is um what's this called Vitamix. This is a Vitamix. This thing's, I'm selling it here. I feel like I'm on the shopping. <laughs> Actually, I, I gave them to my oncologist. I used to make them and bring them. This is incredible. I said, absolutely. 
and they were healthy too. So yeah, I mean. But that's I, a perfect example. What you're saying is a perfect example. It's a small, manageable, um, makes you happy change that really could have such a great impact on the way you're getting those healthy foods. I mean, if someone sat you in front of like a massive bowl of kale and said, Ralph, eat it every day, it's very different than if you've got this routine you're building where you're making your smoothies and you know that this is something that's gonna be feeding your body with what you need. So I think that that's a fabulous way of kind of taking what um, Dr. McGregor and Francesca have said and making it your own. This is something now that you can't do without because you've realized that it's given you so much power over the course of the journey. I also had that water machine you were talking about. I got two, I like, <laughs> my, water. My, my girlfriend, I'll get back to you, Dr. McGregor on this. My girlfriend too, she called me one day and she said, I'm changing my whole house to alkaline water, even the shower, because you know, if you get in the shower and the water gets in you and da, 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 da. And I thought to myself, you know, first, my first reaction was to tell her, don't do that. You're going to spend a lot of money and that's not going to make a huge difference. And then my second reaction was, you know what? Sometimes people need that. They need to feel that level of control over something that they are doing that won't hurt them. That's the point. It's not going to hurt them to start drinking all alkaline water, but it won't necessarily make any significant changes. You know, it hasn't been shown to make any significant changes. So Dr. McGregor, when you do have patients that come in and talk to you about these things, is that your goal too, to kind of assess this is okay because it's kind of feeding a different need, maybe an emotional need, a mental need, and it won't hurt them? Or how do you approach those conversations? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great, great question. I think, you know, one of the problems is, is that when we start thinking about some of these natural natural supplements, we don't really know how to interact with our treatment. As a perfect example, you know, patients who are getting radiation, if they drink a lot of green tea, that actually counteracts everything you're trying to do with the radiation, right? The whole point of radiation is just this oxidative stress. You then do a lot of antioxidants. It actually makes the radiation less effective. Wow. So I would say, oh, there's no harm. I'll just take this supplements. It's how it's gonna, really going to hurt me. We don't know that. Like, we don't know how some of these drugs work. We don't know how they really get in there. And is there a chance that this drug may have some negative interaction with the chemotherapy we're giving that maybe not that it may increase side effects, it may actually negate efficacy. So I think it's important that when you look at these side effects, you know, we have a great resource at Dana Farber, the Zakim Center, where we have patients when they're doing a lot of supplements, we'll actually have them go there and we have a team that will look at each supplement and say, okay, this is what we know about that supplement. This is how it can interact with your, the drug you're taking. I mean, so from my standpoint, I do, you know, I think it really comes down to like, what are the goals of the therapy we're looking at? So if someone has cancer and I'm giving them therapy, you know, after cancer, try to prevent it from coming back to try to cure them, which in kidney cancer is really bound really only done on trials, immunotherapy, you know, we want to make sure we're doing everything we can that we don't negate those effects. Now, if I'm dealing in a situation where someone has stage four incurable disease, you know, my goal is to give them best quality life for as long as possible. And if doing some of these supplements is going to make them feel better and it's going to empower them, then I think that that's, that's an important aspect of care. And so I will work with our team to make sure we find the safest dose that we can be done. But I would just, I would caution just because something is natural doesn't always mean that it can have, it won't have negative impacts. 
on the therapy. Well, I love that you, you gave us a practical example because I know that there was a, a survey done that asked, I think it was last year um, through our kind of like app. We, uh, in the cancer community, we've got a organization that kind of supports us with medical education, advocacy, et cetera, called ASCO, the American Society of Clinical Oncology. And they put something out saying that they did a survey and you know, it was like an overwhelming number of patients, 60 or some crazy number way up, way up over half said that they didn't trust their doctors not to t like dissuade them from incorporating some of this natural or holistic medicine. So I love that you gave us a real example of, it's not about trusting the doctors, it's about communicating and knowing that even though you're adding something that you feel might not harm, that in reality, it might be doing harm because it might be counteracting what other therapies you're giving. So I think the key takeaway is if you are going to incorporate natural therapies, communicate it. Communicate it either with someone like Francesca or directly with your doctor because, and trust that no one's gonna ask you to stop for the sake of stopping, that they're gonna be asking you to make modifications for the sake of making sure that the treatments that we're giving that we know to work, work the best that they can in the time that we can give them. I mean, um, cancer care is a, it's a team approach, right? And so there's lots of members of the team. There's a medical oncologist, there's a surgeon, there's a radiation oncologist, but the most important person in that team is the patient. And so we all have to make these decisions together with nutrition, with everyone there to make sure that everyone agrees that we're doing the best approach going forward. And so just open communication is going to be really, really important. You know, if a patient tells me they're taking something, I'm not going to be like, oh my gosh, that's the worst thing ever. It's like, okay, well, let's just meet with the team. Let's talk with the nutritionist. Let's talk with the center to make sure that there's no concerns with everything that's going on right now. So I think everyone wants to try to help, help everyone. And so that open communication is really important. Yes. Well, you know, we're coming down to the last couple of minutes of this, and this is about, you know, activity and diet as part of World Kidney Cancer Day, uh, sponsored by Kidney Can. And so I want to ask each one of you what you did today for your own bodies, whether that be diet or exercise related. And I really want that to be one of the take home messages for this session. Ask yourself every day, maybe at the beginning of every day, what am I going to do? And then sometime in the middle of the day, check in with yourself. What did I do today specifically for my own body? So Dr. McGregor, I'm gonna start with you. What did you do today for your own body? I'm like a tech, tech junkie and I ha I'm like obsessed with closing my rings on my Apple Watch every day. Um, and um, I mean, I generally do my exercise at night. So every day I get on my, I have a Peloton bike and every night after the kids go to bed, get on there in 45 minutes and it just energizes me and sets me up for success the next day. I love it. I love it. Um, Francesca, I'm going to go to you. So I am also a night exerciser. So my, my exercise hasn't happened yet today. Um, but I am definitely someone like you where if I don't like doing it, I, it's not fun for me. So I will probably do some yoga today, but it could be a bike ride. It could be hula hooping, dancing around my room by myself, whatever it is to get my body moving. If I don't feel like doing a formal exercise and that is, I know I'm doing something for myself. Yes. There's a, a nurse survivor leader called Lily Shockney from Johns Hopkins. 
and she says one of the best things anyone can do for themselves and it kind of goes against what we're trying to say here but i think it complements she said one of the best things anyone can do for themselves is have a good belly laugh because it promotes t cells and it just all those things that fight cancer really have a good belly laugh and that could come from picking up the phone and calling a friend that could come from that's what reminded me francesca thinking about a hula hoop <laughs> I think just make you laugh and laugh at yourself you know, here Absolutely. I, maybe i'm fighting cancer but i'm going to walmart or target and i'm going to pick up a hula hoop and bring it into my home and not only will i be moving my body but i'll be giving myself uh, that belly laugh and Ralph, since you're the star of the day, you know, you really are, you represent the patient. You're such an example of how diet and exercise can help with treatment outcomes. I mean, to see uh, your journey and how healthy you look today. First of all, I'm so proud of you and I'm so grateful for you and for your whole team, for your wife, for everyone who's kind of helped you come to the point where you're sharing this panel with us today. But what did you do today for your body? Well, I went downstairs in my gym because I can walk down the steps now and I exercised. My, my gym is better than the one at the club because I have all golf specific. I got a rebounder. I got a golf machine for weights and I have weights and benches. I got a thing that you I wrap around me so I, for turning, for core exercise strength. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to tell everybody the best thing I ever bought was an electric bike because and yeah, you know, I live a mile from the ocean, and there's no way I'd be riding my bike down there. Right. Ever. You know, but I use my electric bike all the time. I, you know, if I if I've got a few minutes and I got some time, I go to my electric bike, and you get exercise. You just got to tone it down. But you know, it gets you out. You know, and when I couldn't hardly move, I'd use my electric bike. Oh, I love I it. I mean, so it gets you out of the house, and people were amazed that I was out there riding. And but if it wasn't for electric bike, I would wouldn't go. So. Wonderful really good for someone's really not doing so hot get the electric bike go out and see the world you know, yeah i promise you you'll see me on smart page and say i got that electric bike this is really great yeah. yeah yeah no thank you thank you for that so some of the overarching takeaways number one avoid inactivity don't pressure yourself with how many minutes you need to do this week but pressure yourself with how many minutes you don't want to be inactive uh, sitting on the couch or maybe just walking back and forth from the couch to the fridge, especially during COVID-19 when uh, everybody seems to be a little bit more trapped indoors. So avoid inactivity, everything in moderation, whether that be what you eat, uh, how you exercise, make sure that all of that is informed by your treatment team. Be your own advocate, whether you're being treated at a big academic center, at a small community practice, or something in between. Uh, you are the most important person on that treatment team and so start asking questions. Don't be afraid to uh, raise concerns with the various members of your team and always search for resources, whether that be online or in your own communities, uh, because those resources are there. Visit KidneyCan. I mean, it's amazing to see what patient advocacy organizations offer. Listen to your body. That's one thing that I picked up from Ralph today. Listen to your body. You know your body. Listen to your body and follow uh, the advice to go and see your doctor. And even when your doctor, if your doctor says, uh, no, it's probably nothing, keep listening to that body and keep communicating to your doctor that, well, it doesn't feel like nothing, so let's do some more investigation. 
Um, be grateful for the things that you have, your caregivers, your treatment team, your fresh air, your exercise bike, your hula hoops, whatever those things might be. Um, focus on sustainable changes, things that will carry you through treatment and beyond. Communicate with your treatment team any natural remedies you may be adding to your uh, daily regimen because those things, no matter how harmless you think that they are, might have interactions with some of the uh, treatments that the physicians uh, have prescribed for you. And every day ask yourself, did I move enough? And if you didn't, try to set an alarm for one minute more the next day. I know I'm speaking to all of you as listeners from my own experience. Um, I had that baby six years ago and I'm still struggling with losing that weight. But be sure to know that every day you can only do something better the next day. The day wasn't a failure. Just try to be better the next day. So ask yourself, what did I do for myself and my body today? I thank you for being with us during this panel. I hope that you got something out of it. I know that I did. I know that it was amazing to hear the experiences from all of the different panelists and their perspective on the same thing. And that same thing is you. So please prioritize yourself today. Be safe, take care of yourself, be kind. And I look forward to a day where all of us can be together in person. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having Thank me. You. Thank you, everyone.